So imagine your car is sitting in your garage and at night when the electricity prices are spiking again, imagine that your car has charged itself up during the day um, and then it sells that electricity back to the grid at night. So your car is just sitting in your garage making money for you. That was David Neenan, a senior global supply manager for Tesla and UNC class of 2014 alum, describing one way that batteries are evolving our electrical grid. I'm Kirsten Williams, your host. The global energy transition is happening now. Today's episode features battery storage, why we should invest in it now, ideas that rethink the battery supply chain, and the business opportunities from the grid. Our student guest host is Norman Shia, one of our clean tech interns. Take it away, Norman. Hey everyone, I'm Norman. I'm a freshman undergrad at UNC this year. I'm really excited to be here today as we learn more about battery storage innovation. The world is working to reduce energy-related CO2 emissions by transforming the global energy sector from fossil fuel-based to zero carbon by the second half of the century. Battery storage innovation is leading the shift towards renewable energy and providing us with new economic opportunities. Today, we'll hear from experts at Bloomberg New Energy Finance, Strata Solar, and Tesla about these exciting new trends in battery storage. Up first is Brian Bartholomew. He is a U.S. power analyst with Bloomberg New Energy Finance, as well as a UNC graduate. Brian will start us off by sharing some exciting new trends in battery storage and renewable energy. Um, so excited to be here. I guess in the pandemic, this is as close as I can get to, to Chapel Hill. Um, so I'm an analyst with Bloomberg NEF. We're the primary research arm of Bloomberg. Um, so publishing reports, models, data sets on wind, solar, batteries, electric vehicles, you know, hydrogen commodities, kind of all the different angles of the energy transition. Um, and what I'm going to share today is just a, a few snapshots of why we're just generally excited about energy storage, why we're talking about it. Um, later on, we'll delve into, you know, more of the nuance of business models, barriers to development. Um, but this is a high-level view of why it's exciting right now. Part of the reason is this Moore's Law-esque phenomenon for renewables. Um, and it's called an experience curve. And what this experience curve principle states is that for every increase um, or for every doubling of the amount of you know, total solar panels on the left or wind turbines or battery packs you produce, the cost of producing that thing actually falls by a fixed amount. It's just a function of all these accrued you know, incremental manufacturing improvements um, and economies of scale. And this is kind of a look at what that's actually meant in terms of cost declines. So this is showing batteries right now. But for solar, we've seen the cost of a solar panel fall by more than 80% over the past decade. Um, we've seen the cost of a wind turbine plummet by more than half. We've seen the cost of batteries fall by nearly 90% since 2010, right? So all these applications like electric vehicles, uh, batteries for good storage that might seem kind of absurd at $1,000 per kilowatt hour battery pack prices um, are now coming into the money. Uh, so that's kind of why like the cost side is very exciting. Um, and I want to share a brief kind of California case study of, of why, you know, it's, it's batteries time in terms of value on the grid as well. 
looking ahead at how many electric vehicles, uh, good scale batteries are going to be built, pairing this up with experience curves, we still think there's a lot of room for battery costs to fall um, going out into the future. All right, guys, I'm, I'm throwing you into the deep end. So if you can hang with me through this, you get to be an honorary power analyst. So what we're looking at here um, is the average daily generation and price profile in California over the last decade. So look at these little windows. Each one of these is the average day in a year. We've got our radioactive green nuclear generation, gray gas, grand ports, dark blue hydro, and a little bit of wind and solar. Um, and we're gonna look at how renewables reshape power prices. So if we look back to 2011, it's a fairly simple world. You're gonna notice that red power price line follows the overall shape of generation. This makes sense, right? The more uh, you know, power supply you need, the more plants you're gonna have to turn on, um, the more expensive that kind of final price setting unit's gonna be. Fast forward to 2015, you've got this sunny side up egg of solar popping up in the middle of the day. You'll actually notice that that red price line dips right when solar's online. Why is this happening? Think about solar, right? It doesn't cost anything to generate. You're not buying coal, you're not buying gas to generate power. Um, so it actually means you need less of power supply that actually costs something um, to generate. So that's why prices dip when solar comes online. And so if you ever hear the duck curve phenomenon, that kind of shape is where that name comes from. You fast forward into 2018, 2019, 2020, even more solar coming online. Um, prices getting absolutely crushed in the middle of the day, right? And then rebounding in the evening. So all those gas plants have to rapidly ramp up to try to keep up with, uh, you know, the solar falling offline, keep the lights on. And so we're testing out a new level of, of duck curve phenomenon. So I want you to think about what these price signals are telling us, right? If you look at that red power price line in 2020, it's extremely low in the middle of the day, saying if you want to buy power here, it can be very cheap. The market doesn't need any more power here. Look at how it spikes up in the evening, right? That's saying you get a great reward if you can deliver energy in that window, right? Chance to buy low, sell high. Um, does anybody hear that? Yes, that is, that's batteries walk on music. Um, so with that, I'll, I'll pass it on to the next panelist. Next up is James Robinson. He is the energy storage project development manager for Strata Solar a company founded in Chapel Hill that now has operations nationwide. James will introduce us to the uses of battery storage and why we need to start investing in it now. So I'm James Robinson, I work for Strata Solar. So just a little bit about Strata to, to get going. Um, so we, we are developers, operators, EPCs, and owners of uh, solar and increasingly storage. On the solar side, we have um, over two gigawatts of installed capacity and over 250 projects developed and constructed. Uh, so that makes us um, one of the largest developers in the country. Uh, we have 400 full-time staff. Most of them are based in uh, Durham, North Carolina. I myself, uh, am, I'm based in, in New York City um, and our development team tends to be spread out across the country. Um, on the storage side, we have uh, over 400 megawatt hours of contracted storage and uh, three gigawatt hours of storage in the pipeline. So when we talk about energy storage, um, there's actually a lot of different things that the energy storage can actually be doing. 
Uh, th this diagram on the left is from Rocky Mountain Institute uh, from a paper called The Economics of Battery Energy Storage. A uh, few years old now, but really interesting reading if, if you want to look it up online. Uh, and it, it lays out 13 different services that energy storage can provide uh, to three different stakeholders. So the customers, so that's like the end users, the utilities, and to the grid operators. So when we as project developers are trying to build a storage project, we're trying to figure out which of these services can we provide for with this particular project and how do we get enough of them added together to make the economics work out and, and be able to build the, the project. Um, these services can kind of be grouped into two main categories. Uh, the first is storage can offload peak capacity. Um, so what that means is that the, the power system historically has really been built from the power plant all the way through the transmission, the distribution system, and all the substations in between to, to support the peak demand. So in North Carolina, you have maybe the hottest day of the summer. That's when the electricity uh, demand is the highest. And so everything in that chain has to be sized up to be able to support that one day or even that one hour. Uh, that's not the most cost-effective way to, to build things out, but it's been the only way that there is because there hasn't been, we haven't had the ability to store electricity on a large scale. Uh, as battery storage, uh, the costs come down, that's changing. And so there's this opportunity that we now have to not have to size everything in the system to that peak hour of that peak day. Because the demand is made up of a bunch of residences and a bunch of businesses and they're all doing different things and there's not really a good way to control the demand um, and so the the supply the generators have had to match with uh, have had to ramp up and down but as you get more and more renewables on the grid that becomes problematic because solar and wind are intermittent they don't necessarily have the ability or they don't have the ability when not paired with storage to be able to ramp up and down um, so, so as we get these uh, renewables on the grid, we're going to have to increasingly rely on storage to have the supply side ramp up and down in, on a second by second level in order to match the demand. So this is one of our projects, our biggest storage project to date. It's called Ventura Energy Storage. And I, I included it here just so you can kind of see what this actually looks like on the ground. This is a 100 megawatt, 400 megawatt hour project uh, in, and it's going to be commissioned in Q1 of 2021. Um, it will be one of the largest in the country when it's, when it's commissioned. Uh, it will be using the Tesla Megapacks. And you can see just kind of the size of this, uh, of this installation um, and that uh, all of those Megapacks lined up in uh, where that arrow is, is, is that's, that's what makes up that 100 megawatt, 400 megawatt hour project. So when you keep thinking about that number, 100 megawatts, Woodmac is projecting that energy storage installations globally will be hitting 15 gigawatts by 2024. So that's 15,000 um, 15, megawatts. So that's like 150 of those Ventura projects just by 2024. So that when you think of the size of that one project and you're gonna, the, the projections for how much storage there will be, there's really just a lot of really big projects that need to get built. Um, and because energy storage project development, it, it's a very long process. So, so these projects have to be developed one at a time. And the interconnection processes, the permitting processes uh, can take many years to get through. So what, what that means is that in order to hit these projections, 
the project development for all of these projects really has to be starting now uh, and and in the next in the next year um, and uh, moving forward as as the storage grows, the development activities will have to grow also. Um, so that's what Strata is doing along with our colleagues in the project development industry and it's um you know really really interesting place to be and uh, we look forward to helping to, to hit these targets that, that Woodmac and others are putting out. Finally, we'll hear from David Neenan. David is a senior global supply manager for Tesla, as well as a UNC class of 2014 alumnus. David will discuss how many batteries will need to be sustainable and why we have to revamp the battery supply chain in order to meet that goal. Hey everyone, it's great. Always a great day to be chatting with Tar Heels. Um, I'm a UNC class of 2014. Looking forward to, to chatting with you all today. Um, and thanks to Brian and James uh, for really setting the stage here. So hopefully you're getting the idea that batteries are kind of the jelly to you know the renewables peanut butter. Um, it's a really beautiful combination that we have here. And there's a lot of exciting stuff that can happen on our grid. Um, and from a Tesla perspective, we're also pretty focused on the vehicles right now. Um, although we're far from a car company, um, we are a sustainability company at the end of the day. Um, and the question that, that I like to ask myself is just how many of these batteries do we actually need to live sustainably and then how do we get there? Um, so this answer is deeply rooted in the battery supply chain, which is my team's focus. Um, because at the end of the day, you can only build as many batteries as you actually have material supply for um, and manufacturing capability for. Um, so let's dive in and just take a brief look at the battery supply chain. It's sort of a behind the scenes thing that I would say isn't as well known in batteries. So next slide, please, Ron. So this is using an example, uh, not of Tesla, but of CATL. They are the world's second largest battery manufacturer. They were the first largest for a while before being dethroned um, by their rival LG Chem. Um, and ultimately at a high level, the battery supply chain is really complex. Um, it stretches all the way from a mine to the final storage system, be it on the grid or be it underneath your electric vehicle or in your garage as a backup power supply. And there are tons of different stakeholders in between. And as James mentioned, these project developments are many year projects. Um, and the battery supply chain is the same sort of challenge. Um, you can't build a new lithium mine overnight or a new nickel mine overnight. These are five to seven year projects. And so we have a lot of exciting things in the pipeline, a lot of projected demand. But at the end of the day, the supply chain has to be able to keep up. Um, so after we've mined different metals from the ground, um, there's a series of different components in the battery and the four key ones are shown here. We have a cathode, we have an anode, we have a separator that lets the cathode and anode not touch each other, and then everything is filled together with an electrolyte that allows the lithium ions to move back and forth. Um, and the key takeaway here is that these are all very energy intensive honestly not terribly sustainable processes. Uh, we really need to continue to innovate in the supply chain um, to reduce the amount of wastewater that's used, to reduce the amount of energy that's used, um, and ideally be sourcing from renewable sources rather than a coal plant or an oil plant of things of that nature. Um, so once these components are all finished, they come from all over the world. Uh, they are transported all over the world, which is also a challenge for sustainability. And then you actually get into building the battery itself, the cell, is sort of like a little double A AA or triple A sort of factor. And then those are built into modules and then into packs. Um, and then 
something that is of important interest is going to be the recycling at the end of the day. Um, but ultimately, this is sort of an overview of the battery supply chain, starting from the mine and ending with a, a vehicle or a finished battery pack or something like that. So what I want to focus on here and point out is that if we're going to achieve this huge growth in batteries, the supply chain needs to grow with us. And that most difficult area of that is going to be the mining and refining, and then also processing these metals into the cathode. And these again are very long lead time projects, um, five to seven years to build a new mine. Um, and miners don't want to invest until they receive that price signal from the market that the metals prices will be going up. There's excitement for our batteries. And um, so ultimately, it's going to take a concerted effort here. Um, and so these are, for the supply chain, these are areas of, of intense focus to really try to expand. Um, how can we better mine lithium? Can we recycle it? Um, can we develop a new green process for making a cathode and things of that nature? This is, this is really the challenge to me laid out. Um, we've, we've thrown out a lot of different metric prefixes here, mega, giga, and um, if you watch Tesla Battery Day, Elon has declared that Terra is the new giga. We're going up, up, and away. And to put this in perspective, these are on here on the left, these are the world's largest lithium ion battery manufacturers. And it's no small feat to manufacture 50 gigawatt hours a year of capacity if you're LG Chem, for example. That translates out to billions and billions of battery cells pouring out of their factory every year. Um, and we're still many orders of magnitude short of where we need to be. We have to get to terawatt hour storage. storage. So our supply chain really needs to scale with us um, as well as our battery manufacturing. But it's always worth keeping the opportunities in mind along with the challenges because when we get to the day when an electric vehicle has the same sticker price as a Honda Accord, or a utility can buy energy more cost-effectively um, from a solar plus storage project than um, from a coal plant, then everyone wins. And I just wanted to point out one, this is sort of a new hot off the presses um, from last week, a game changer um, opening up from FERC, um, who helps control the grid. And what this now means is that distributed energy resources or DERs, solar assets, battery assets, can now effectively function as tiny power plants. So imagine your car is sitting in your garage and at night, as um, Brian pointed us, when the electricity prices are spiking again, imagine that your car has charged itself up during the day um, and then it sells that electricity back to the grid at night. So your car is just sitting in your garage making money for you. Um, so these are some of the things that we're really excited about with Tesla, um, but with the clean tech field as a whole. We just listened to Brian Bartholomew of Bloomberg New Energy Finance, James Robinson of Strata Solar, and David Neenan from Tesla talk about battery storage trends and innovations that will shape the future of our electrical grid. In the future, we may see more large-scale energy storage projects, innovations in the battery supply chain, and the ability for us to store solar energy during the day to sell back to the grid during peak hours in the evening. Thanks, Norman. You are listening to the Innovating to a Clean Economy podcast, a place where we bring industry, students, government, and academia together to drive collaboration for the clean tech economy. Join me in thanking our clean tech student interns who are amazing this season 
and the Institute for the Environment at UNC Chapel Hill for their role in bringing this program to you. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to this podcast. And to learn more about our clean tech economy work, type IE Clean Tech Corner into your browser. Thanks for listening.